Collins in motion. Snap. Car back to pass. Pocket holds. Dumps it short. Jacobs has it at the 25. Spins back towards balls the middle. Up. Balls out. And it's still loose at the 26. The Chargers say they have it. Derek changes the play with three on the play clock. Now backs into the gun again. Gets the snap. Off to his left. Looking left. Fires a slant. Almost intercepted. Now it is picked off. Batted in the air at the 10. Five. Touchdown, Chargers. This to tie it with nine seconds to go before halftime. Good snap. Solid hole. Kick angling upright to the left. And he missed it wide left. From 52 yards. Carlson back-to-back -back weeks missing from 50-plus after hitting his first seven on the year. Jacobs to the left of Carr and the shotgun. Snap. Back to pass. Walking left. Lofting left. To the end zone. Adams grabs it falling down. Touchdown to Monte Adams. He was on his backside and the ball landed in his lap. One play. One touchdown. Josh Jacobs, 74 yards on 13 carries, and he gets it again. Pitches it back to Derek Carr. Looking downfield for Devontae Adams. It's straight at the five. Touchdown, Raiders. And that's the even more glorious. Again. That's even more glorious. That's even more glorious here on a Monday. Ed, Tyler, Jared here on the press box. Welcome back. Uh, boy, a lot of Raider, Raider uh, cuts there. Like they won that. a game. Again? Yeah, they, they won another one. Uh, I What's prefer going to think of them as Devontae Adams cuts. What's going on here? Unrelated to the Raiders. Uh, Sunday Night Football. Scorigami. But not the one Jared predicted. Oh. No. 54-19 uh, is the first time that's ever happened as a final score in the NFL. Uh, Jared, I don't remember what your prediction was. Like 32-25 or something. 26-32. Like, it was going to be a six-point yeah. game. So not quite, but there was a Scorigami. Unrelated I mean, Houston, to all this. Houston started out real promising. Oh, safety. Yeah, oh, safety yeah. was 5 at one point. <laughs> Unrelated to all of this. Pick the Netherlands. All right. You're going to do three hours of the show by yourself, Ed. <laughs> ping, ping TCU to lose. Oh, what a weekend it was. I should have I should have been calling oh, DeGener. Oh, what a weekend it was. I should have called DeGener Danny to make some bets. What a weekend. Every time I've done that, I've lost money. Yeah. I just put it out there. <laughs> Called the Jenner and Danny? <laughs> because I don't have these accounts, and I'm not also willing to go to Arizona. <laughs> the first bite. I clicked it. Nothing happened. The first bite is brought to you by Aaron Taylor's 15K giveaway. You can register to win at lvsportsnetwork.com. <laughs> Are the Raiders going to make the playoffs? Looking at that Croatia score up there. Yeah. It's only played three minutes. Yeah. World Cup's um, still great. Well, they win on Thursday. They're back to six and seven like last year, right? And yep. uh, things are falling into place in terms of opponents with the quarterbacks on IR, guys breaking breaking feet. Um, I still think 15% at this point is a long shot for them to make the playoffs. So they are five and seven. And the last wild card team at the moment is the seven and five Jets. Uh, two games they have to make up on the Jets. The problem is the Raiders don't play the Jets this year, so they don't have any sort of hey, we can make up a game all by ourselves. They need the Jets to lose two more times than the Raiders. And here's here's the remaining schedules for both teams. The Jets are going to go to Buffalo, probably lost. 
They get the Lions and the Jags at home. They better be wins. They go to Seattle, and on the final day, they play at Miami. The Raiders go to the Rams Thursday Night Football and then host the Patriots, go to Pittsburgh, and then they get two home games to end the year against the 49ers and the Chiefs. I will say this. If you're the Raiders, you actually probably want the Chiefs to win all of their games so that that game means nothing. Right. Exactly. The you Chiefs, want them coming in here with with their their spot settled. The problem, though, is that the Chiefs lost to Buffalo. Mm-hmm. So Buffalo has the tiebreaker, which means for Kansas City to be playing for absolutely nothing, they either have to be two games ahead of Buffalo going into the final day or have to be locked into, like, the two seed and have no shot at the right. one seed. I think seed. Buffalo now has to lose twice. Right. So it is most likely at this point, Kansas City is going to be playing for something uh, on the final day of the season, which is not great if you're the Raiders and you're trying to uh, make that an easier game. But I look at those two schedules and I don't see an obvious, oh, the Raiders are definitely making up two games on the Jets. Both teams have some difficult games. Both teams have some, you know, should be wins. It's hard to say, oh, the Raiders are going to go five and zero, and the Jets are going to go three and two or four and one and two and three, whatever combination you want to do. It's hard to say that's easily going to happen the rest of the way. So can the Raiders make up two games on the Jets? It's possible, but it's still really difficult. And then here's the other key. The Patriots are six and six. The Chargers are six and Mm -hmm. six. Even if you make up two games on, even if the Jets fall off the face of the earth, the Chargers and Patriots can still be ahead of you. Yes. And the Browns and Steelers are five and seven. Like you're not the only five and seven team that's like, ooh, can we track down the Jets? So you've got to catch the Jets. You've got to be better than the uh, Patriots, better than the Chargers, and be better than the Steelers and the Browns the rest of the way. That's why it's 15%. If it was just, hey, can you catch the Jets? Be a lot more. Right. But because there's four other teams that can screw it up for the Raiders... It's pretty difficult for the Raiders to make the playoffs, but by the time we get to the end of the season, the way the Raiders are are winning games at the moment, we're probably going to think, yeah, they're just as good as the playoff teams. Whoever gets that sort of last spot in the right. AFC, we're probably going to be like, yeah, they're just as good as that team. How many can they win that they don't make the playoffs, but they still have like the worst draft pick they possibly can get? That is... Uh, I would say a high probability at the moment. Maybe not, okay. maybe not the worst. I'm not saying I'm rooting for it, but it definitely feels like that's sort of the end goal. Yeah. It's like, hey, we just missed the playoffs, and now we're going to draft 19th. That's what it was looking like. Nine and eight. Yeah, nine and eight's a possibility there. Uh, they'd have to beat one of the 49ers or Chiefs to do that and take care of Rams, Patriots, and Steelers. Uh, I would guess from here on out, they go... I'll say three and two the rest of the way, which would put them at eight and nine and almost certainly not in the playoffs at eight and nine. No. Um, so, yeah, I, I think they go two and three the rest of the way, and that's an eight and nine team. And it won't quite be the worst draft pick you can have while missing the playoffs, but it'll be close. They'll be 13 or something like that, 14, somewhere in that neighborhood. They normally get good players around there. Which one? Uh, wide, re- they normally get like a really good wide receiver yeah. right around there. No, I thought you were gonna say a really corner, a really good corner. Oh yeah, they do that. He that was too, around. Yeah. He was around that spot. Just uh, very character guys. Yes. Is Chandler Jones good now? I, I think Chandler Jones. 
had a really good game. I think Chandler Jones went up a six against a sixth round rookie who <laughs> couldn't block me. Um, they left that, that poor kid he, on an island. They so were so scared. Worried. They were so worried about Max Crosby. And in the first half, we're like, "All right, that's Chandler Jones is just abusing this guy. They're obviously going to make changes either at halftime or whatever. They're going to change their protection, and they never changed. They just told this kid, "It's all you, buddy. Yeah. Our, our line is completely <laughs> beat up. We're missing our center. We're missing our left tackle. We're missing our uh, another tackle. Uh, it's all you, uh, Robert Saylor." And uh, he just got abused. As much as we've talked about the Raiders' offensive line, and they were actually very good yesterday, that offensive line performance from the Chargers oh, it's brutal, unbelievable, brutal. bad. Like, I I don't know that I've seen it be that bad. And, and against a team that we've talked about a lot, has not had a pass rush outside of one guy the right. entire season. Like, uh, Josh Dubo put out the stat that uh, before yesterday, the total sacks among non-Max Crosby players was like five and a half on the entire season. And yesterday they got five non-Max Crosby not, sacks. Not, yeah, he didn't have one. In one game. Yeah. Like, that's that's unbelievable how bad that offensive line was. And it was generally, they're on top of, uh, on top of Herbert within a second. I mean, this was not, oh, Herbert's sitting in the pocket for five no, or he six was, seconds. No, he was either scrambling or they got right. to him. Like, it was unreal how bad that offensive line performed and Chandler Jones actually did something. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's what they've been needing Chandler Jones to mm-hmm. do. That's who they, they needed to be him to be because Max Crosby exists. They do not need Chandler Jones to be a top 10, 15, 20 edge rusher in the NFL. They need Chandler Jones. When the other team goes out of their way to chip and double team Max Crosby, they need Chandler Jones to win one-on-ones. Mm-hmm. And he has not done that the entirety of the season. But he did it yesterday. He did it yesterday. Now, like you said, a sixth-round pick rookie out there at left tackle for the Chargers. I don't know if he's going to get an easier one-on-one matchup the rest of the year, but at least we saw him do it. At least there's yeah. reason to think, oh, maybe he could do that again. And it doesn't have to be three. Three sacks is a ridiculous number. If he can get one sack and, like, five pressures, pressures. yeah, you'd be like, oh, look at that. The other edge rusher can do something. But I don't know how much that carries over given the opponent. No, I mean, I like I said, they put that kid on an island. That was, I mean, good for Chandler Jones. I mean, like you said, he did what he was supposed to do. That's what we expected him to do most of the season, not not get three sacks a game, uh, but, you know, a sack here, a sack there to help out Crosby. So whether you can do that or not, I'm not sure. The Rams have a beat-up line also, so we'll see on Thursday night what he does on Thursday night. He's not going to face that, the, you know, after that, probably the rest of the year against some of those teams they're about to play. But good for him. You know, I mean, I thought he played really well, and, Afterwards, uh, he held his Friday news conference. He speaks on Fridays, but yesterday was a Sunday, so he actually spoke. That was his Friday for this week. Um, Had a lot of good things to say. And, uh, yeah, I thought he played really well. Uh, So, post-game, how many barbecue chicken comments were there? Uh, I think Josh Jacobs made some. I was with Chandler Jones at that point, so I kind of had to choose because I was writing about Chandler Jones. But I think Josh Jacobs made some Barbecue chicken comments. Why didn't Chandler Jones call their left tackle barbecue chicken? <laughs> that was the actual barbecue chicken in the game. Was that guy Robert Saylor? Yeah, that's sixth round rookie. Maybe you, maybe there's actually like some uh, unspoken rule in the NFL. Like if a sixth round rookie's starting, you don't actually trash talk the kid. You're just like, ah, sorry, dude. That kid stinks. You're just like, ah, it, it happens. Uh, but do you believe 
the Chargers lost, obviously, so the Raiders got to make fun of it. Keenan Allen had 88 receiving yards, one touchdown. He had the biggest play of the game for the Chargers, right? The fourth down touchdown catch, right? If they don't make that, they lose the game there. Gave them a shot, at least. Do we say Keenan Allen delivered on his barbecue chicken comment? I don't think he delivered on it, but I don't think he regrets it. That guy talks a lot of smack, man. <laughs> you see him like when they when yeah. he scored the touchdown. That oh. guy talks a lot of smack. There's no way he regrets it because it's one of those things. Like you know, who cares if you got to have that? I mean, you're trying to win games. Yeah, if, if you need Keenan Allen to get you up, there's a bigger problem. You probably have a bigger problem than that. But I don't think he regrets it. I thought it was great, great comment. Oh, it's funny. barbecue chicken, yeah. phenomenal. It's funny. Um, but I don't think he regrets it. But he had one really good play, so I don't know if he upheld it. I mean, he had the one he play. He was kind of uh, absent the rest of the game. Yeah. Right? Obviously, he had some other catches in there, but it wasn't like... And maybe we didn't really get to see it because Justin Herbert had to throw the ball within three se- or two seconds or the it was over, but it definitely didn't feel like Keenan Allen was, oh yeah, he's unguardable. No. He's torching the no. defense. Like, he's torching everybody. Maybe if there's an actual good offensive line in front of Herbert, we, it's a different conversation. But I don't feel like he delivered on it despite making no. the best play. Probably the best play of the game was that fourth down between him and Herbert. Yeah, fourth and 12. Adams, uh, which, one, which, which, which touchdown was better? Adams with his arm being dragged down in the back of the end or in the end zone for a touchdown or the Herbert to Keenan Allen one? That Adams the, catch was really good. Allen's catch was really good. Yeah, I'll, I'd go with Allen, but I'll tell you what, uh, Devontae falling down was a good one, too. Falling on his backside as it kind of just kind of yeah. fell into his stomach. As he caught it with, yeah, with yeah. one arm in his stomach because yeah. the other one was being He almost down. made that great one-arm catch, one-hand catch, but uh, they overruled it on am the sideline. Am I too harsh in thinking he should have gotten two feet down on that one? <sighs> That's a tough catch. It felt like he had 35 seconds to yeah. get the other foot down. Like, I... I'm just so used to the best receivers in the NFL always getting the second foot down. I was like, oh, of course he did. And they showed the replay. I was like, oh, he wasn't even close. I don't know. I just, I, to me, I was like, ah, oh, Devontae Adams should make that play. Once you catch it, the feet part's the easy part, right? right? Just like gravity take him down. Right. I don't know. Maybe I'm too critical, but I was like, oh, he should have made that. that no one's been. ever accused you of that. <laughs> hey, hey, it's Devontae Adams. He's re- I'm not saying Mac Holland should have done it. I'm not saying Keelan Cole. It's Devontae Adams. Should have gotten two feet down. All right. Coming up next, we'll jump into some UNLV basketball because they are 8-0. David Molka with the ball. Rebels with 440 to go, leading 86-62. McCabe into the lane. Kicks the ball to a cutting Elijah Parquet for the one-handed Tomahawk slam dunk. It's not butter. It's Parquet. Golly, I don't care what it is, but golly, I need some more of that. We're back to the Press Box Morning Show with Ed Graney and Tyler Bischoff. I don't get that joke. Uh, I'm it's, trying to think. Um, it's not butter, it's parquet. What Jared? the hell is that? What's parquet? Is Margarine. Parquet? Margarine. Is parquet a brand? Yes. Oh. Why would I know a brand of margarine? Do you, I, I mean, I know you don't cook, but do you not grocery shop? It's yeah. right next to the butter. I buy butter. You can get it in the squeezable uh, um, container. You squeezable? Can get it in a, yeah, you can get it in a little box. What do we got, a toothpaste container? Yeah, yeah, no, right there. That one he lost me. Parquet. There I'm, you go. Squeezable uh, margarine. Okay. I did not know that that was a thing. <laughs> I buy the little brown container of butter. And keep moving. I don't <laughs> stop and look around. I know what I buy the same butter my parents bought. I don't stop and look what other options are there besides butter. I look whichever's on sale. 
Couldn't that's even tell you. Couldn't that's even tell one. you the price of butter because I don't look at the price. Just that's the butter Ooh, we use, and we keep. This going. could be a new fun game. Is uh, wow. Tyler? How much is a loaf of bread? A thing of butter. I'm going to guess is three dollars and twenty cents. Do you look at any prices when you buy? Stuff? Yes. You yes. Do. If we're if I'm you buying, compare. Yeah, but there's certain things like. If I buy a dozen eggs, I don't know that I've ever looked at the price of eggs. I just, I'm getting a dozen eggs. It's the same thing I always get. Same with butter. Okay. All right. But you yeah, said if it's $3 and... 20 cents? Wait, are you doing bread or butter? I'm doing br- I'm doing butter. Oh, yeah. three twenty. It is... What size three do- uh, 15 ounces. All right. I don't know how big mine is. Sounds right. All right. $3.49. Almost so not, nailed not, it. Not, not Almost nailed it. There we go. So then what do you compare? Like anything I'm buying that's not like regular. Like it's not the same. Like, you know, butter and eggs are things you buy every single right, time you right, go to the grocery right. store. If it's like... I don't know, some random meat I'm getting. Okay. Or something that I'd buy every Like you compare times. a couple steaks. Right. Or okay. something like that. Okay. Yeah. Some right. new item. The thing that annoys me is when I go to Smith and I'm like, all right, I'm going to buy some soda. And then it's like, well, they're $7 per 12-pack. But if you buy five of them, they're $2 per 12-pack. Right, 12 exactly. Pack. And I'm yeah. like, do I have to buy five things of soda? <laughs> like, I drink a lot of soda, but that's a lot. Like, I just wanted one brutal and it's like all right five for the price of one if you buy five yes. it's like, Jesus. there's a lot of that stuff around the stores yeah. that annoys me all right unlv though they're eight no they blew san diego out 95 to 78 um should we be talking about unlv and the ncaa tournament yeah. right now you know the net rankings came out this morning they're 44 oh get excited the 44 in the net you got to get excited i don't know what five they top 50 teams from the mountain west right now. yeah i don't know if you Ooh. I don't know what they are in Ken Palm, but in the net, they're 44. It's exciting times. Um, There's going to be a lot of people come January that are like, do I have Cox or do I have DirecTV? Because I need to watch this team. <laughs> they are 82 in Ken Palm. Okay. They moved up uh, eight spots. after Top 100. Oh, yeah. They've, they've been top 100 for like a yeah. month now. Where have you been? I know, but it's I do that every time. Um the only other Gary two Marvin times Menzies, I used to go top 300. <laughs> the only other two times that UNLV has gone eight no to start a season since Tarkanian left, they've gone to the NCAA tournament. It was Lon Kruger's last year and Dave Rice's first year. They went at least eight no to start both of those seasons and ended up in the NCAA tournament. They're eight no again for the first time since Dave Rice's first season. Okay. Should we? Have I this? guess we should. I guess we should start talking about it. Might as well, right? I mean, it's been since 2013. We haven't had a lot of years. We're like, hey, should we start talking about UNLV in the NCAA tournament? <laughs> I. Uh, it's going to be a fun conversation. Um, I will say this game specifically against San Diego. I actually thought this was UNLV's worst game of the season in terms of allowing the ball into the paint. They got beat off the dribble quite a few times. They gave up quite a few off-ball cuts into the paint. Like, San Diego got the ball to the, the danger area, right? They got it into the paint. But David Milwaukee was incredible. He blocked four shots, but even more impressively, the amount of times that San Diego would get the ball into the paint and then either dribble or pass it out of the paint because David Milwaukee was in the way was fascinating to me because they got it to where you want to get it as an offensive team. And would oftentimes not even attempt the layup. They just kick it out? Because Milwaukee was there. It was like, again, first like five, ten minutes of this game, I was like, oh, UNLV might have a little bit of a problem because San Diego's actually beating them off the dribble. Uh, but it did not matter uh, because UNLV and David Milwaukee took away pretty much everything that was in the paint in terms See of a good See this baby shot. on a stream? 
Yeah, the WCC Network. Okay. Very exciting. Okay, how was it? Uh, fine. Okay. It, it didn't drop out. Oh, so that's that all you good. need. That's all you need. Um, they, my favorite part of the WCC Network is they would show a replay, that uh, replay angle that would be from above the basket, but instead of being directly above the basket, basket it was like twenty feet back. <laughs> so you like saw the backside of the basket, and then you for saw whatever screen, was happening, and then part of the court. I was like, this is a this is a crappy angle, guys. Okay. I don't know why you keep showing us this one. Just show us the regular. Like we don't even see any. It's not even zoomed in on anything. It's a bad angle. But it was fine. I mean, the game didn't drop out. It was as, long uh, as it doesn't drop out on streams. Yeah, it was it was respectable. Uh, given the amount of times I've watched Mountain West Network games, this was fine. This was a very very comparable to the Mountain West Network stream, basically. Right. At the end of the day, so um, a couple of things on UNLV that I'm I'm curious about. Number one, they dominate free throw shooting. They took 27 free throws in that game compared to 13 from San Diego for the season. UNLV has taken 75 more free throws than their opponents. They're getting 9.3 more free throw attempts per game. Do you believe that that's going to continue because that's that's part of who this team is? Or is that going to even out and be a problem for UNLV? I don't know if it's going to be a problem, but I think as they get to play better teams, it might even out a little. Here's the interesting part about the Mountain West. Seven teams in the Mountain West are currently top 150 in uh, free throw attempts. attempts. So there's a, there's a lot of teams in this conference that are shooting a lot of free throws so far this year. I'm guessing once we get to conference play, UNLV is not going to have that edge of we're shooting almost 10 more free throws right. than our I opponent so every game. And I do wonder, will that cost UNLV? Because one thing UNLV's done well this year, they have not gotten into foul trouble, right? Victory Waco got, has gotten into foul trouble, you, but that's just who he is. He's going to play 17 minutes and commit four fouls. But they haven't had to deal with foul trouble. They haven't had to deal with, oh, Keyshawn Gilbert, uh, we got to sit him down for an extended period of time or uh, EJ Harkless. So I think foul trouble could be an issue if more teams start drawing fouls on them. And then, uh, you know, when you get 10 more free throws than your opponents, even if you're shooting 60%, that's six more points on your opponent just from that yeah, stat alone. Yeah, and I also think conference games are called a lot closer and yeah. they get evened out a lot more. Yeah. So that to me is one area that's fascinating because UNLV's dominating there. Like that's a ridiculous, you're 70 plus 75 and you've played eight games. That's a ridiculous place to be. Um, and I wonder if that could be, you know, UNLV gets in a close game against Boise State, New Mexico, Nevada, and any of these teams that are sort of in the top 100. Is that a reason why they lose instead of win? Because so far, they've been dominating right. that part of the game. All right. They also shot very well from three. Didn't get to that in time. Um, they they shot over 40% against San Diego, which is if sustainable. They, if they shoot over 40% from three, they're going to win every single game they play. Every game, every time they shoot, if they 40% shoot over 40% better, from three, they're going to go the NCAA tournament. Right. If they, every time they shoot <laughs> over 40%, they're going to win. Yeah. It's going to be really good. All right. Coming up next, we talked to Alex Kirshner about some analytics in football and the college football play. Here's the stat. Hold down. Kick is up. It's no, on its no, way. No, and that is not going to no. get there. It is no good. And Washington and New York are going to settle for a 2020 tie in round one. Snap. Spot. Kick on its way. End over end. And it is short. I don't know if it was deflected, but you know it and get it cleanly. And this game has ended this is the end of in a tie. Neither team scored. Therefore, the game is important in the tie. The Giants 20, Washington 20. Washington. It's the Press Box with Graney and Bischoff on ESPN Las Vegas. I enjoy the contrast in those calls 
Uh, I'm assuming yeah. Washington was first, and they yes. were pumped that they got a tie instead of a loss. And then the Giants uh, announced not happy. Sounded like they actually lost the game, but it was a tie. Always fun. Joining us now is Alex Kirshner. You can uh, check out the Split Zone Duo podcast, and Alex joins us. Um, Alex, you had a story in The Atlantic about sort of analytics and how it's a, a bogeyman in football right now. And you wrote something that I, I found interesting was about how analytics has made sports more entertaining, but yet there are so many people against it. And just the general idea of it making it more entertaining is the, the general uh, idea that it wants teams to go forward on fourth down. We should want that. Like nobody should want to see a field goal or a punt. We should want to see, Oh, Patrick Mahomes is staying on the field for fourth and four. I understand people are approaching, well, this is what you do to win the game. But I feel like more people should be pro analytics just because it gets us Patrick Mahomes on the field more instead of Harrison Butker. Yeah, that's part of the interesting contradiction, if you will, about the way that analytics get talked about in sports. And, And it's not uniform. I think if you look at some of the changes in Major League Baseball over the last 20 years, I think it's cut the other way. You know, if you and baseball sort of taking steps against that. But, you know, baseball teams realize that they could defensively shift and, you know, start to focus on things like spin rate with pitchers and, and really fine-tune based on those measurements. Uh, and that killed offense. I mean, last year was one of the worst offensive seasons that baseball's ever had, and I, I don't think that that's especially exciting. But you're right that in football, uh, the general thrust of analytics has been to show that teams have been historically a little bit more conservative than they should be on go for it on fourth down decisions on two point conversion decisions uh, and, and on running the ball too much, frankly. Um, And I think that seeing more passing with, you know, the best players in the world, quarterbacks and receivers and seeing more fourth down attempts, more two point conversion attempts, all should make football. I think all does make football more fun. No disrespect. I mean, I, I enjoy an 80 yard punt as much as the next guy, <laughs> but I, I think uh, that it's, it's definitely enriched the sport. And yet we don't always talk about it that way. Why then is it just as simple as saying, get off my lawn guy that people don't embrace these more, or have they just gone with their gut more often that they just aren't embracing this as much as they probably should have? Yeah, it's interesting. I think that, there's there's always going to be a bit of get off my lawn, but I think on an even deeper level, and this is one of the things that I was really interested in exploring in this story, our brains as humans are just not really geared to accept numbers that we are not all that familiar with. Uh, you know, I, I think that this is something that cuts across fields and that you could see, you know, even in, in areas like, you know, people would share like a, a climate stat or something to, to outline climate change. And if you don't know what that measurement means and you have no idea how it's calculated, then it might not seem very urgent to you. Um, and I think sports is sort of a lower stakes version of the same thing where uh, analytics sometimes seem like a black box to people and they do not lend themselves to being argued with in the way that we like to normally interrogate new information. And so you sort of wind up with this disconnect and this was a, something that a cognitive scientist that I interviewed told me for the story, you sort of wind up with this disconnect where even if you believe that the people who are providing these numbers are, are smart and understand what they're talking about, you might be pretty skeptical um, because you're just not used to it and you also don't see it embraced necessarily, at least in public comments, by like a Bill Belichick or a Nick Saban. So it's basically a scenario where we have, you know, 
from the media side, I'm sure teams have their own stuff too, but from the media side, there are different models that'll say, oh, kicking here uh, decreases your win probability by 2% or 3%. And because you can't really argue against that, it makes it uh, less popular, less attractive for a, a sporting event? I think so. I think that that's part of the deal. I think that these numbers are sort of hard for people to parse. And I also think, though, that sometimes it comes down to presentation. And I don't think that most people do this, but I think that sometimes, um, you know, the presentation of analytics or of a fourth down computer like that might come out and sound like, oh, well, the model says 2% better uh, if you went for it than if you, than if you kicked it. And the fact that you didn't do that means the coach was wrong. I think that most people who advocate for more understanding and use and implementation of analytics in sports don't actually think that. I think what most people think is, it's one tool in the toolbox, and nobody is saying that you know the head coach should not measure the flow of the game and feel it out and see how things are going. And you know, if your left tackle is hurt, maybe you shouldn't go for it on fourth and two um, with the same frequency that you would in a normal situation if everything was healthy. Like that's all well and good, um, but I think sometimes people perceive the suggestion that you should use analytics as just signing over all of your decision-making autonomy as a coach to a computer or to a spreadsheet. And that doesn't sound great because the coach has spent a lifetime, um, you know, working, working their way up to the highest level of the sport. And I just think that there's this disconnect where people need to understand that what, what analytics proponents are really proposing is just that it be used as another tool that can sort of enrich decision-making and make the sport better. Alex Kirshner with us. Um, you had a, a couple of interesting tweets about Deion Sanders. What happens if he's just a 500 coach at Colorado? That would be interesting. I, I think there's like a lot of discussion about Deion that sort of is in the all or nothing realm. Like, you know, oh, this is really going to work or it really isn't. Um, and I think that most hires in, in college football just don't really work out that way. Most hires in college football are fine. And then, four or five or six years later, you're looking for a new coach for one reason or another. Uh, you know, certainly possible that it booms. I mean, he, you know, Dion is a really significant brand. I'm sure he will get players to Colorado. Uh, and I think he also might be a pretty good ball coach. You know, I, it's, it's a little bit hard to tell um, because they've been so much more talented than the rest of the SWAC when he's been at Jackson State. But, you know, it's not like Dion can't call plays, can't fill out a staff, doesn't know, um, you know, how to operate a program. So could go great, uh, but I think not necessarily, and it'll it'll be interesting to see where it settles. Did you like the fact he stood up and told most of them to go into the portal? Uh, no, <laughs> but like, I, I don't think I like it or anything, but there is a certain honesty to it that I find preferable to the way that a lot of coaches will handle this. You know, you guys probably know that the, the typical way that a coaching staff gets rid of a player that they don't like historically in college football is, you know, what is kind of colloquially referred to as the runoff. So mm -hmm. you just sort of don't play him very much. You sit him down during practice. You put him in a lousy weightlifting group where they kind of get up really early in the morning. Um, you might just not be very kind to them. So you technically fulfill the obligations of the scholarship, but you, you don't really make them feel welcome or like they have a future there and you hope they just leave. And I don't think that's any good at all. I, I think it's honestly better to just come out and honestly say in your first meeting with, with a group of players, you know, probably not going to be your time here. Uh, probably not going to be 
a very important player for me, so go hit the portal. I don't want to endorse the general project of like new coaches doing this, but I get it, and I think that it is at least more honest than the old way of doing things. Alex, before we let you go, uh, we like to try to get a national sense here. Do you care about the UNLV job? Yeah, I do. I'm interested in UNLV. Uh, I am, because I think that there is a... It's still sort of a theoretical case, but there's a case that UNLV could be an ascendant program. And I know you all probably heard this about a million times <laughs> over your your entire lives. So I'm, I'm sure I'm not your first guest who's come in here and said this. Uh, and there's no guarantee that it ever works out. But, you know, you could talk me into it that it's a big population growth area and it's becoming a more you know sports-oriented uh, scene in, in Vegas in a lot of different ways. I'm certainly at a professional level, and maybe that filters down to youth participation. And maybe 10 years from now, you've got way more football players coming out of the you know Vegas and surrounding areas, and, and you have a good program. Uh, obviously, that hasn't worked out just yet. But I was disappointed in the way that it went for for Marcus Arroyo this year. I was looking, you know, what four or five weeks into the season, and thinking this could be one of the really good turnarounds of uh, of college football this year. And obviously, it didn't work out that way. So I'll be interested to see what they do next. Well, he is Alex Kirshner. Again, check out the Split Zone Duo podcast. Alex, we appreciate your time. Thanks, Alex. Appreciate it. Pleasure, guys. Thank you. So there is Alex Kirshner. And uh, I he wrote the story in the um, Atlantic about analytics. And I thought it was fascinating that he talked to somebody who's outside of the world of sports who was like, yeah, humans don't like things that they can't argue with. Like when you present, hey, Going forward on this fourth down improved your win probability by 3.4%. You can't argue. Like, that's just, this was the right or wrong decision. You can't argue against it. So I don't like that. I want to be able to argue about yeah. that, and I do not like yeah. this. So the, the what he wrote in there was like, so the default is to basically <clears throat> attack the model and say, right. oh, well, that's a, that stat's yeah. not right, or that stat's dumb, or whatever. I've been doing this for forty years. That's that's what I asked him about. Get off my lawn, because there's yeah. going to be a lot of those guys, especially in coaching, who, no, no, no. I I, I think I uh, saw a uh, quote in there um, from uh, Bill Cower. You know that they just you know it's a gut feel. You got to go with right. your gut all the time instead of worrying about all these numbers. But I love that we're dumb as a species, and when we're given. A, like a, I shouldn't say a hundred percent fact because they're different models or whatever. But when we're given like a black and white, this is the right decision, this is the wrong decision. We're like, I don't like that. Give right. me the gray area right. so Give I can argue with my so friend argue over with here. here. Exactly. <laughs> and let me argue, black and white, that the gray area is the best way to go. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I thought Tyler actually brought up a, a fairly interesting point of the fact when he says that it's another tool in the coach's toolbox, it's another tool in like the media's toolbox too, where you can go like the, the probability and the models all said, go for it. But the left tackle sucked. So (laughs) while I agree, probably if everyone's healthy, you go for it on that fourth down. I get why uh, they were trotting Alex Leatherwood or something out there. Japan just scored. They lead Croatia one, nothing in the 44th minute. Japan could be in the quarterfinals. I think they might be checking this for offside, though. We'll see. We've got tickets to give away. If you want to go to the eSports Awards 2022, call in right now. 702-364-1100 is the phone number. The eSports Awards presented by Lexus closes the curtain on the gaming competitive season. 
December 13th at Resorts World. You can buy tickets at esportsawards.com or win a pair from us right now. Caller number three at 702-364-1100 will win a pair of tickets to the Esports Awards. What in your evaluation was the reason for the loss? For the... I'll, I'll leave that alone. Are you happy with the effort tonight? Yes. You're asking me dumb questions, guys. Really dumb questions. Jesus. Played our ass off. We done? Thank you. We are back to the press box with Grady and Bischoff. Uh, Tortorella. John Tortorella. What a hero. <laughs> I like I like how honest Cassidy is. But the fact that Torts could have they could have gotten Torts. With that with those answers. Cassidy could be meaner, basically, is the, yeah. the yeah, moral we, of the story yeah. here. We need the honesty of Cassidy mixed with the just flippantness of Gallant. Maybe. What if what if we just need Bruce Cassidy to experience some more losses? Like when you start 13-3-0. Yeah. And even yeah. even recently, like their their bad stretch. I mean, they're still, was, they still they, they were turn around and win two or three in a row. Right. They were like 500 over the course of 10 games or whatever it is. Like... Their bad stretch isn't even bad, so maybe, maybe we'll see if they like go on like a six-game losing streak. If Bruce Cassidy gets a little bit more uh, snippy and you're asking dumb questions, guys. Yeah, it'd be great. I'd love that. Um, I have a very important question for you two. The Golden Knights, uh, they played the Red Wings, beat the Red Wings, but during the game, uh, our uh, wonderful friend Darren Millard said during one of the intermissions that they were filming for Beverly Hills Cop Four at the Red Wings Golden Knights game. And they showed a shot of a camera crew with what looked to be a director or something behind one of the sections. Um, what is Beverly Hills oh cop God. for? Uh, and more importantly, what does a cop in Beverly Hills have to do with a Detroit Red Wings game? Okay, so to go very quickly, the premise of Beverly Hills cop is that a like tough cop from Detroit has to go to Beverly Hills because... The crime that he finds in Detroit leads him to Beverly Hills, and it's a fish-out-of-water story about, like... Alex Foley. Axel. Axel. Axel Axel Foley, Foley played by Eddie Murphy. Bill Foley got, like, a cousin in this movie? Uh, No. No. I mean... (laughs) Axel Foley. Axel Foley, basically, the the first movie is about him working with detectives in Beverly Hills who are used to, like, that... That man is, he's very important. Of course we're not going to talk to him. And he's like, we're working on a drug bust. <laughs> we're going to go talk to him. So how are there four of these movies? Well, this, because, one's, this one's going on Netflix. I, I didn't one, know that. And is Eddie Murphy involved in this? It appears he is. Okay. That's at least good. Yeah. Um, is Judge Reinhold back? They've got Kevin Bacon, John Ashton, Judge Reinhold. Judge Reinhold's back! Um, they say Paul Reiser. Well, okay, they're uh, just scooping up the eighties. Yeah. So the Golden Knights might be in this movie. Um, I mean, yeah, there might be scenes with the hockey being yeah. played behind them. Yeah, you'll see Jonathan March so on yeah. the ice cussing at a ref or something, and that'll that'll make it into the movie. I mean, yeah, I mean it could. All I know is the wait third minute, one isn't minute. very good. Important so. question: Are these supposed to take place in present day, or are they like in the eighties? 
I think oh, they're. No, like I think they're the present day. Yeah, I think it's like a return to yeah, form. Because like I was going to say they screwed up if they picked the Golden Knights for a game, a movie that's supposed to be. No, no, like they, it, it would be present day. The Golden Knights have retro. Uh, they've got <laughs> yeah. retro throwbacks, and don't they have a T-shirt that says "exists since 1994? <laughs> yeah, it would be present day. I didn't know it until I read about it. It drops it drops on Netflix. All right, so they beat the Red Wings. Uh, two fun parts of this. One. Jack Eichel has scored in both games he's played in since taking a puck to the face. Uh, he's been wearing that college-style uh, bubble mask. Um, have you seen his face? I have not. He's got stitches, I think, in two different places. Hockey's so and, weird. <laughs> and his eye, I think in the first game, it looked like a traditional black eye. In the second game, it just looked yellow just all around his eye, like four inches off his eye. It's just yellow. Like a third of his face is just yellow from a bruise. And he's still scoring goals. And he's still scoring. He scored in both games since that while Wait, wearing. Is it, is mask. it working like uh, in football, like eye black in football? He can see a little better. <laughs> With all the he yellow. Probably for, see all the worse. yellow from the bruising. You can probably see worse. And he's just shooting. Just, ah, the goal's somewhere over here, and it works better because it's hockey. Guys can't shoot. Anyways, so Jack Eichel, he looks ridiculous. Like, you, if you saw that guy at the grocery store, you'd be like, dude, are you okay? You need to yeah. go to the hospital. <laughs> Did something happen at home? <laughs> you'd be concerned. But he's fine, and he's scoring goals because it's hockey. Um, my other fun stat here, Phil Kessel actually ruined my fun stat. He scored. Uh, came came out of the penalty box, scored on a breakaway. Prior to that goal against Detroit, Phil Kessel had only scored on terrible goalies. Uh, so far this season, he had scored on Philip Grubauer, who has a negative 4.8 goal saved above average. Jordan Bennington, negative 2. Eric Comrie, negative 3.6. And James Reiner, negative 1.2. Detroit's goalie, um, Huso, has actually been pretty good this season. Uh, but until then, Phil Kessel had only scored on terrible okay, goalies. Okay, so... He got a goal, but you're not going to put it like in high range because it was only the first guy that was actually decent that he scored on. Of course, yeah, yeah. Before then, he was only scoring on bad goalies. Now he got a breakaway against a good goalie, and he beat him. Good job. I just want to shout out to our listeners who now have every time Kessel scores are like, where's Tyler? Let's go get him. (laughs) Lindsay is leading that charge. Yes, I know. Yes, she is. Fortunately, he doesn't score very much, so I don't have to deal with that too often. But every now and then, it's just like, yep, here comes Lindsey Brown and 16 other people yelling at me about Phil Kessel. But he scored. Good for Phil Kessel. Don't take him out of the lineup. I mean, I, maybe people are getting to him and saying what you're saying, huh? You know, there's this guy in the radio if in town Phil who continues. Kessel, who's played a thousand straight He needs games, your motivation. He needs your motivation. Then you're welcome, yes. Phil Kessel. Yes. What am I supposed to say to yes. that? Yes.